journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom, and welcome in this really chaotic day. It's freezing cold outside. We are battling Corona, and now we are battling all sorts of unruly tensions. Um, quite a frightening place to be in. But as always, we need to be like Noah. Um, Noah from the from the ark, from the time of the Mabu, from the flood, where God said, "Go into the ark and make yourself safe in there." And the uh, Hasidic teachings teach us that uh, when the world is being flooded and it is chaotic, the best thing that a Jewish person can do is create an ark, and that is an ark of learning of of, of surrounding oneself with the teachings of Torah and uh, the teachings of God, connecting ourselves to God during this chaotic time, and that will allow us to ride the waters of tribulation. So I hope that everybody is staying safe, staying inside. We have more than one reason now to stay inside, and uh, we have no other reason but to listen to me, Adel Kozilski, and 101.9 High FM, where we can spend the next 45 minutes learning Torah, for Torah brings peace to the world. As always, we are in the midst of Parashat Vayete. We are following the life of our forefather, Yaakov, and we have spent the last couple of uh, weeks, or cop- last couple of sessions, I think, maybe not weeks, maybe two or three uh, sessions, describing how the children of Israel actually came to be meaning we were following how Leah, then Billah and Zilpah give birth to the tribes of Israel. And I believe that last time we were together, we finished on chapter 30, verse 20. So if you're looking inside a, a Bible or the Torah, it's Perik Lamed Pasuk Chaf, chapter 30, verse 20. And uh, we learned the extraordinary idea that even though Leah was supposed to only have three children, each woman was supposed to give three. In fact, at the end, what happens is, is that Leah gives birth to six of the tribes, Zilpah two, Bila two, which makes up to ten. And now we are going to uh, understand how the last two came about. But before we do that, we are just going to look into verse 21. And learn something very, very interesting, and that is the verse that reads, Va'achar yalda bat, and after that she gave birth to a girl, Vatikra et Shema Dina, and she called her name Dina. This is, of course, talking about Leah. In the previous verse, we learned that Leah gave birth to a sixth son. His name was Zivulun, and... Um, there we've got the exact words that the Torah always uses. Vatahar vatele. She fell pregnant and she gave birth. And this is how all of them are. Vatahar vatele. Except for when Zilpah gives birth to her, uh, uh, her first son. Um, if you remember, it just says vatele Zilpah, that she didn't fall pregnant. And we spoke there that she was in fact very young and nobody knew that she was pregnant. But other than that, there is a consistency in using the two words vatahar, and she fell pregnant, vatelade, and she gave birth. Interestingly, 
when it now comes to uh, the wife, uh, sorry, to the daughter that is born uh, by Leah, it says, Va'achar yalda bat, va'tikra et shma dina, and afterwards she gave birth to her daughter, and her name was Dina. So the rabbis straight away pick up on that and say, how come there was no tahar, no falling pregnant, but tailed, and she gave birth, and the the consensus here is that in fact Dina was a twin to Zivulun. So Mini Batahar Batele, she fell pregnant and gave gave birth. She fell pregnant to Zvulun and Zvulun had a twin. So what happened was Zvulun was born and right after, immediately afterwards, as uh, Zvulun came into this world, they realized there was a twin and out came Dina. So that's why there was no mentioning again that she in fact had uh had become pregnant again. Now one of the interesting ideas over here, and this is a, a general rule that is applied um in 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 Torah, is that if in fact Dina was a twin, or even if Dina wasn't a twin and there was in fact a seventh pregnancy, um either which way it would mean now that she would have diminished, Leah would have diminished the ability for Leah, for, for Rachel, to have at least as many children as the hand servants, as the maid servants, as Zilpah and Bella. And it says that uh, when Leah realized that she was carrying a seventh child, she prayed very hard um, to change the sex of the baby so that she would allow her um, her sister to, in fact, give at least as many sons as Zilpah and Bella. And from here, our rabbis go and teach that if a woman wishes to pray for children, firstly, she should do so on the night that she immerses in a mikvah, um, because this is very close to her fertile period. We know this is a, the the way the cycle of intimacy works. There's generally about 12 to 14 days where there is no physical intimacy between a husband and wife while the wife has her menstrual period and for 17 days afterwards. Once a wife has immersed in the mikvah, then they are allowed to be intimate. So we learn from here that if a woman wants to pray for children, then what she does is she prays at the time that she goes to the mikvah um, and she has until 40 days from uh, conception to pray for the sex of the child because until then the sex of the child is not detectable and after that um, whatever is is destined to to um, to be will be and one cannot start praying for example in the sixth month uh, you know asking for a boy to be a girl or a girl to be a boy um, and so we're told that in this in this instance Leah was very, very sensitive to the fact that if, in fact, she gave birth to a seventh child, seventh boy, she would really be uh, diminishing her, her sister Rachel. And so she prayed that the sex should be changed. And, in fact, it says that God listened to her and he changed the decree. And she gave birth to a daughter whom she named Dina. So one of, of quite a few things to learn from here. Primarily, though, is that one should, number one, pray for children, and two, that one kind of sort of, has a say, 
<laughs> in the first 40 days um, as to praying and asking God for what, what is needed. So over here now, we have the fact that um, Zvulun had a twin sister. But I'm going to pick up on this idea in just a little while because it seems, though, that this was not only true of Zvulun, but in fact of all the brothers. But we're going to hold that thought um, and we're going to get back to it when we, as we, as we move down the verses. Of course, at any point in time, if you'd like to ask a question or you'd like to drop a comment, 34519 is the SMS number. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back. And we're actually going to see some healing now in that eventually after many, many years of infertility, God has chesed, has, has the kindness, has compassion on Rachel, our foremother, mother, and she too will be giving birth. We're reading in verse 30, chapter 30, verse 22. Vayiskor Elohim et Rachel, God remembers Rachel. Vayishma Eleha, and he hears her, meaning he hears her prayer. Vayishma Eleha Elohim, God hears her prayers. Vayiftach et Rachma, and he opens her womb. And we are told in the Midrash that this actually happened on the Rosh Hashanah of 1563 BCE. It was then in the Heavenly Academy that Rachel's uh, prayers were answered and an order was given that she shall have children in the merit not only of Abraham and Yaakov, but also in the prayers of Leah, in the merit of the prayers of Leah, Bela and Zilpah. Um, that was set for her. Remember, she also had a tremendous amount of other merit in that she had given Leah her secret sign and had spared her humiliation. And although she knew that Leah would be substituted, she remained silent. She also, also one of the things that we are told was that Yaakov gave, uh, gave, uh, Rachel gifts. And, uh, what happened was that Rachel gave those gifts on to Leah so that she wouldn't be humiliated at all. Also, there was this underlying anxiety, both from Yaakov's side and from Rachel's side, that Asab was still standing in the sidelines, you know, and he was watching. He had seen now that Yaakov had married his destined wife, Leah, and uh, it could easily be that Asab would come and pounce on Yaakov and say to Yaakov, you know, um, you've already married her sister. This is normally forbidden. Give me Rachel because she's not giving you any children. So everybody overall was suffering. God had mercy and obviously will allow her to have children, even though we are told again, like our foremother, Sarah, she was in fact physically sterile. And this is what, uh, an interesting idea where we, where we pick up, if we just actually look at the words um, of the way that God remembers Rachel, it says, Vayishma Eleha Elohim, that God heard her. Now, when we talk about God in the Bible, um, whilst God is God in English, in Hebrew, God has many, many names. And depending on what name we, we, we see, um, is dependent on 
how we understand that God is reacting in the world. Now, a very, very common difference is that if we see the word Elohim, and I'm not pronouncing it correctly because one is not allowed to pronounce the name of God, um, but if we see the name Elohim, this name signifies the attribute of justice. It signifies God being hidden in the physical world. Um, and how do we know that? Well, very, very easy. We go back to the first uh, verse of the Bible. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And here you see the word Elohim because really how was the world created? This world was created by God hiding himself, clothing himself in the physical world without us seeing him. And that to an extent is a um, attribute of justice um, because um, it's, 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 it's unkind insofar as if, if we could see God, then this world probably would be a much better place. God hid himself in this world because he wants us to go out and seek him, but it is a much stricter, a more constricted way of the way that God functions in this world. When God functions with mercy, with midat rachamim, then we will see the Tetragaran name, Yud, He, Vav, and He. Um, so here you can see it says that God remembered her and it uses the word Elohim, Vayishma Eleha Elohim, which was saying that um, God, in fact, was a judgment um, and God had to sweeten that judgment. Okay, and, uh, um, and how was it sweetened? It was sweetened through the prayers of Rachel, of all her sisters and, um, and the handmaidens and Yaakov. And that is the way she landed up falling pregnant. Well, here's the exciting part. Vatahar Vateled, she falls pregnant and she gives birth, Ben, to a son, Vatomer. And she says, Asaf Elohim et herpati, that God has Asaf, has gathered in my humiliation. Batikra et Shmo Yosef, she calls him Joseph, Namor, saying, Yosef Hashem Li Ben Aher, that God has added on for me another son. Right? Now, remember, it was another son because she had given her handmaiden. And as we discussed last week and the week before, the children of the handmaidens were considered the children of Rachel and Leah. Um, it was a kind of like a form of surrogacy. But here God, God has added on um, uh, another son to her whom she would call Joseph. We've also spoken a lot about the fact that she didn't only, they, the, all the mothers didn't name their children just stump because they liked the name or because it was pertinent at the time, but it was also, uh, they were also named because of their prophetic vision that they saw. And this is the case here as well. Rachel foresaw that one of Joseph's descendants, who was very famous, Yehoshua, Joshua, would also remove and gather in the humiliation of the Israelites by giving them a Brit Miller before they entered the promised land. You can look that up in Joshua, in chapter 5, verse 9. And so this is also alluded into the name of, of Joseph. The name, we are also told, is actually given as a prayer that... Um, 
that Hashem would repeat this action and allow her to have even another additional child. So when she's saying the word asaf, um, she actually means to say nosaf, like another son should be mine, because you know she um, she's talking about the, the the fact that she realized and she saw with uh, divine uh, um, divine eyes that Yosef was actually going to be superior to all the other sons and that um, he wanted to protect her other her, another son that hopefully she would get that would be Binyamin and very interestingly that does happen down the line where um, Binyamin and his descendants did not have to go into distant exile like the rest of the tribes. So Yosef is born, and in fact, as we know, anybody who studies the Bible knows that he does rise to authority, eventually becomes the head of all the brothers, he becomes the brothers' saviors. And kind of like you want to say that, you know, good things, you've got to wait for them. And when they come, they're really, really good. This was the case of Yosef. Yosef, interestingly, was born on the 1st of Tammuz um, in the year 2199, which is June the 30th in the year 1562 before the Common Era. I just want to actually uh, stop for a minute and just again look at all the sons that were born and just do a little bit of an analysis on the sun, so we, right now we've got Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Yisachar, Zvulun, Yosef, and Binyamin. Those will, are going to be all the sons born. Those are the 12 tribes. Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun come from Leah. Dan and Naphtali from Bila. Gad and Asher from Zilpah. And Yosef and Binyamin from Rachel. And just very interestingly, um, if you look at um, all the brothers and the dates on which they were born, you will see that in fact the 12 tribes, save of, I think it was, I just want to see 2208, 8 actually, 8 and 3 is 7. Right, within seven years, in a period of seven years, uh, Yaakov had children. And here, why am I saying 23? Because he had his 11 sons, Binyamin, out of this. Um, and we are told that while we are, uh, while it's brought to our attention that Zvulun had a twin sister and her name was Dina, in fact, each and every son was born with a twin sister. Now, why? Because, well, if you take the, first let's just work up the mathematics, why I'm saying 23, 11 sons, each one with a sister, that makes 22, and Dina, which makes 23, which is obviously another opinion where we're saying that Dina was, was, was separate. It wasn't the twin sister of Zvulun, but was over and above, which means she probably had triplets as opposed to two twins, following this opinion. Now, why did um, the, why does the Midrash hold that uh, they all they all had twin sisters? Well, if you think about it, 
um, providence, God had to, to arrange for Yaakov to have daughters um, who would be his son's wives. Now, the sons obviously didn't marry their twin sisters because that is not allowed according to Torah law. But, for example, Reuben could marry Dan's sister and so on. Um, and even if you look at the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, the seven Noahide laws that is... Um, that, 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 that one follows, you know, in the Gentile world, one is not allowed to marry their sister unless they were from a different mother. And so, basically what happened was that the brothers married around, uh, their, their half-sisters. Some say that Joseph was born without a twin sister and that Dina born without a twin. That's if we hold the opinion that she wasn't Zvulun's twin. And what we see here, interestingly, in, in this is that Yosef actually marries Dina's daughter, which we will get to um, later on. So basically, if we look at it overall, Yaakov's wives experienced 12 pregnancies in seven years. It's actually quite phenomenal, and um, Yaakov, remember, he arrived um, at the age of 77 to Lavan's house, and uh, wow, he really, really managed to raise a family very, very quickly after that. Just another interesting tidbit, if you look at all the brothers, um, they all lived into their hundreds, um, the youngest to pass away was in fact Binyamin. He died when he was 109 years old and the brother that lived the longest was in fact Levi. He lived 137 years. Quite phenomenal. So between 109 years and 137, that's where most of the brothers, um, the lifespan of the brothers, Yosef lived 110 years and then we see Yehuda going at 119 years, and then a whole bunch of them, 122, 23, 24, um, 20, um, and then, of course, we get all the way to Zvulun at 137. Behind him was Naftali. He lived 133 years. So absolutely quite phenomenal, um, having such a large family in such a short space of time. You can just imagine now, um, how Yaakov was feeling. He's got this huge family. He needs to be financially responsible for them. He needs to, um, you know, um, look after them now. And he also needs to, to go back home. And we're told that once Yosef was born, this was the tipping point where Yaakov realized that he was now ready to go home. And we can follow in. Um, in the verses, chapter 30, we're now on verse 25. Vayahi, and it was, Ka'ashe yalda Rachel et Yosef. When Rachel had given birth to Yosef, Vayoyme Yaakov el Lavan, Yaakov says to Lavan, Shalcheni va'elcha el Mekoymi ila'ati. Grant me leave, meaning I need to go, I wish to go back to my land, to my, my native region, okay, El I want to go back to my place, Ula Arti, 
and to my homeland. It's time to go home. Please let me have my wives, the et die, and my children, Asher Avadati Otach Bahen, because I worked for them, I've served you, the Elcha, and I will go, because you know, et Avadati Asher Avadati You are well of the, are aware of the work that I have rendered you. Now, why was this the tipping point? Why did Yaakov only say to Laban that he wanted to go home once Yosef was born? Well, he learned prophetically that his sons um, would have the power to, to, to defeat Asav. Okay? Um, and you can go look in the book of Abadiah, um, chapter 1, verse 18. There is a verse that reads as follows. The house of Yaakov, fire, and the house, sorry, the house of Yaakov shall be fire, and the house of Joseph shall be a jet of flame, while the house of Asaph shall be straw. So what we see from, uh, from over here is that in fact, uh, while Yaakov was likened to a house of fire, of ordinary fire, th- that can't burn something at a distance. Whereas Yosef was likened to a jet of flame, which could burn anything from far away. And once Yosef was born, Yaakov realized that he had the spiritual power um, to overcome Esav. He was no longer afraid of Esav um, because Yaakov now, well, Yosef, Esav's adversary, um, had been born. And it's the same thing. Remember, we said that Joshua was one of Yosef's descendants, and he was able to defeat Amalek, which was also a nation that came from Esau. So now he knew that he, in fact, could make his way back home. And though he knew he was going to have 12 sons and he only had 11, he also knew prophetically that Benjamin would be born in the land of Israel. So he comes to his father-in-law, Laban, to grant him leave, because he did not want to go without his permission. But of course, as always, Mr. Lavan was not an easy character, and he was very hard to negotiate. We're going to find out what, uh, how all of this transpired after the break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we're about to go into negotiations again with Lavan, and they're going to be quite harrowing ones because Lavan knows that um, his wealth and everything that he has has only been because of Yaakov. And if you recall, um, initially when he did the, the daughter swap and he gave Leah instead of Rachel, he said to the townspeople, it's in our best interests to keep him. Let's do the swap. And um, that means he'll be here at least for another seven years because our town well has been overflowing with water in his merit ever since. Well, now Yaakov is saying to him, I've got all my sons, I've got my my um, my children and my wife. I need to, to take leave of you. Um, you know the service that I've rendered you. I fulfilled my commitments. Let me go. Says Lavan, verse 27. 
ויאמר אליו לבן, אם נא מצאתי חן בעיניך, if I may find favor in your eyes, says לבן, נחשתי, I have um, you made use of divination, okay, he's, he's gone to sorcerers, ויברכני השם בגללך, and I know that God has blessed me because of you. Now we know when Yaakov arrived, obviously at that point in time, Lavan only had daughters. He didn't have sons. And that's why you remember we said um, he forced Leah, and forced Rachel, sorry, to tend for the sheep. Because obviously if a man had a son, he wouldn't send his daughter alone in the fields and in the mountains. Even if the, the, the sons were still young, he would have sent the, his sons slaves. But he didn't have any sons. And that's why Rachel was sent out. And um, she was obviously the heir to the throne, and she had to take care of his properties. But now he realizes through the occult powers, um, he knows that everything that he has is because of Yaakov's presence. And he says to him, there is, there, there's many, many blessings that I've now received, says Lavan. And this is all in the Midrash. He says, now I have sons. And that blessing also came because of you. And um, not only have I got sons, by that he meant grandsons, but that he has heirs to, to, to his uh, inheritance, so to speak. But he says, when you first came, um, and as we know, we've learned this earlier, that all his clocks, flocks had been decimated by a plague. And since Yaakov started looking after the flocks, uh, the flocks increased every single day. Uh, the Midrash, some say that every day another ten sheep and ten goats were born. Some say a thousand of each were born every single month. Um, and now with Yaakov looking after the flocks, none of them got injured. And it was very, very evident to him that all blessing came in the name of, of, uh, of Yaakov. So Laban says the following, Vayomar. Nafka Sakharcha Alai Veetne. Name your wage to me. He's now in a different uh, space. He needs to negotiate much, much more. He's, he hasn't got the upper hand. In fact, he's going to he's, he's going to lose a lot. He says to uh Yaakov, name your name your price. Name your price and I will I will give it to you. Well, Yaakov is also much, much smarter, he's much, much older. A lot more responsibility. He understands the way Lavan is working, so he says to Lavan, "By Yomer Lav, Atayadata et Asher Avadaticha, veet Asher Haya Miknecha Iti." You know how I've worked for you, my dear father-in-law. You know how your livestock has fared with me. Kimeat Asher Haya Lacha, the Fanai. You had very little before I was here. By Yifrot Larov. Um, and it increased, and it became very substantial. Hashem um, and God has blessed you, Naragli, while I've been wandering around. But now it's 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 about me making something for my home. So basically, he was saying to Lavan, you know, I remember when how many sheep you gave me to tend when I first came in. Some say that, by the way, he only had 70 sheep. And now he had a lot of flocks, a lot of flocks. But with all due respect, dear father-in-law, I need to worry about my household expenses now. You know, um, I need to 
to start worrying about how I'm going to support my family. And Ruben and Shimon were getting older and they were growing up. They were going to need education. They were going to need to get married. I really, really need to look after myself. So he kind of rebuffs uh, Lavan and Lavan say, well, how much, how, you know, tell me your wage. What, what, name me your price. I'll pay you. He's saying, you know how I've worked and you know how God has blessed, blessed you, um, but I need to make money on my own. By your merit. So Lavan says, my etenla, well, what shall I give you? What, how can we, how can we crack this deal? By Yomer Yaakov. So Yaakov says, Lotite li me'uma. Don't give me anything. He was very cognizant of the fact, Yaakov, that whatever he would land up trying to get out of, uh, Lavan, Lavan will always come back and negotiate something else. So he says, don't give me anything. If you want, um, to do one thing for me, and you want me to look after your sheep, then I will return and look after your sheep. But here is the deal. You, Lavan, walk through all your sheep. Hayoin, today. Misham, Kose, Nakod, Vetalu. Kose, Chum. Bakvasim, vetalu, venakod, biizim, vahaya schari. I want you to go through your flocks and I want you to remove every sheep that is spotted, streaked, and every sheep that is brown. And the same thing with all the goats. And that is going to be my wage for working for you all these many years. Now, this is absolutely a very clever thing to do um, because, and, and a, a good deal for Lavan because I'm no sheep farmer, but sheep are expensive when they are pure sheep, when they are beautiful sheep, white sheep. The sheep that have uh, blemishes on them, so to speak, they're spotted or they're streaked or they're brown are considered the weaker ones the the not-so-great ones, the ones that aren't going to fetch such fantastic prizes in the marketplace. So Yaakov says to him, you know what? I don't want anything. Let's go through your sheep. Let's, so to speak, separate those weak, rubbish sheep, the spotted, the streaked, and the brown ones, the sheep and the goats. That's going to be my ve'atna. We're looking in verse 33. Ve'atna bi tekadati bayom machar kitavo al sekharti lefanai and in the future then, we're not going to have a discussion about my honesty. I'm going to talk about my honesty. You're going to see my honesty. It's going to be demonstrated. My wages will pass in front of you, he says. Meaning, any goat that's not spotted or streaked or any sheep that is not brown will be considered as stolen as if it is in my possession. Okay, so basically he went and said, we've got it very, very clear that whatever um, will come out spotted and streaked and brown will be mine. Whatever it is that, um, that, that, that is different will be yours. And now you will know that, um, that I have served you honestly. Would you agree to such a deal? Let me know on 34519-061-895-1019.
With a couple of minutes left, let's see. Does Lavan agree to this? Vayomer Lavan. This is verse 34. Vayomer Lavan. Hain lo yik barecha. Agreed. Words come true. He thought he was getting the most unbelievable deal of the century because genetically, statistically, spotted, speckled, and brown goats uh, don't grow as well as really healthy ones. And um, they don't fetch too much in the marketplace. And so he agrees because what will a few unusual sheep like do for, 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 for Yaakov? That day, straight away, Lavan went and segregated the ringed and the streaked goats, all the spotted and streaked she-goats, everyone with a trace of white and every sheep with brown markings, and he gave them to his sons. So he was very, very careful to remove all the fat, healthy animals. Um, and obviously his intention was to leave Yaakov with as little as possible. And to add to this entire thing in a finality, by Yasin Derek Shloshet Yamim Beino Obein Yaakov, he places a three-day journey between himself and Yaakov, the Yaakov Roe et Son Lavan Hanotarot, and he leaves, um, so he, he, he sends the, 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 the sheep that are weak away a three, three day distance and Yaakov remains tending to Lavan's remaining sheep. So he didn't even want to entertain that, um, you know, that they would get muddled up. And the Vedrash actually says that Lavan changed his mind ten times in finalizing an agreement. Some say that he went even a hundred times. And every time they came to agreement, Lavan changed his mind. But eventually, this is where he decided to draw the line. He had them far away from the rest of his sheep. He was confident that he had got the deal of the century. Well, you're going to have to wait till next week to see, did he get the deal of the century? And it's actually quite a fascinating idea that we are going to discuss in the coming week. So until then, I wish you well. I wish you to be safe and that uh, hopefully things will, please God, calm down somewhat. We are in the nine days. It's the best time just to sit low and hopefully we will see all this negativity, all this that uh, we are seeing with our eyes transform into goodness and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. Until then, stay safe, stay safe.